we talked about this, and I'll repeat myself a bit if you'll, if you'll bear with me. I, I've been set free from the fear of repetition. I think that repetition is good, and God does it enough that he kind of proves that that's a, that's a good thing. Somebody once said you need to hear something three times before you actually heard it, and uh, sounds like me. I understand that. So we're going to repeat ourselves a few times. We're also going to go into some new areas. Last week, we talked about... Uh, not only this being a place of honor for God, but our hearts being a place of honor and, and really not taking lightly what he's done. You know, we have, as we talked about last week, there's, the veil has been torn. We are free to come into the presence of God to the holy of holies without shame, without fear. And the fear I'm talking about is the fear of dying, is the fear of being smitten because there's something wrong. But there is a fear of the Lord that is holy. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. That reverence, that awe, that respect, that putting him above all other things is a holy fear. It's a good thing. It doesn't mean you're scared of God, but it means there is a proper respect and an honor for him. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the Alpha, the Omega. There is nothing above our King. So it's out of order for us to place anything above him. It doesn't make sense for us to do it. It doesn't make sense for us to uh, think that that's normal to place something above the king. He is the king. I want to read something that we read last week again to you so just refresh it in your heart. And I want you to remember, as as we read it, I want you to know that we, thank God, are on this side of the cross. And uh, in the book of Malachi, he speaks of a curse that he's placing on them. And the book of Galatians chapter 3 says that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. So when we read this, we understand that we have been bought back from the curse of the law. We had curse coming to us. We were born into the curse, but we've been redeemed from the curse, thank God. But that doesn't mean that we don't obey his word. It doesn't mean we don't listen to his voice. You see, the reason I serve God is not because I'm afraid that if I don't, he's going to smack me. I serve God because I love him. I serve God because he deserves it. I serve God because he bought me with a price. And therefore, for the rest of my life, I'm going to glorify him with everything I've got. So we're no longer led by fear. We're no longer obeying God out of fear of consequences if we don't. But don't let that mean you don't obey God. And don't let that mean you take him lightly. Because just the fact that he he has invited you into his presence and you can live and you can survive because of the great grace of God, because of the blood of Jesus which has washed you clean and made you righteous and made you holy. Thank God for the cross. Thank God for what it did for you and for me that we are able to stand before our God justified. That we're able to stand because of his righteousness, not our own. But just because the veil has been torn, doesn't mean the Holy of Holies is any less holy. See, here's what the scripture talks about in Hebrews. It talks about the fact that we've no longer come to Mount Sinai. He talks about Mount Sinai because in Mount Sinai, that's where the law was given. And and, and it was a a mountain where God's presence dwelt. But they were ordered, don't don't touch the mountain. Don't even let your animals touch the base of the mountain because they'll die. Because the presence of God was so tangible on that mountain. And God is so holy that if even an animal which was tainted with the sin of the people touched the mountain, one of those things would have to give. Either God would become less holy or the sin would be destroyed. And God will never become less holy. So the book of Hebrews says there's this Mount Sinai that people are terrified of. It says they were afraid to touch the mountain. They're afraid to come to God. And, and, and when they heard his voice, it, it freaked them out. He says, we've not come to that mountain. We've come to Mount Zion. Now, notice he doesn't say someday in the sweet by and by you'll go to Mount Zion. He says, we're there already. We have come to Mount Zion, to the mountain of God, to the new Jerusalem. He talks about this this place where the saints are. He talks about where the blood of Jesus speaks better things than the blood of Abel. That means that Jesus' blood speaks righteousness for you, speaks that you're worthy, speaks that you're clean, whereas the blood of Abel 
would have cried against you, would have brought your own sin back to you. So in Mount Zion, he says, here we've come. We haven't come to Mount Sinai where we have to be so afraid we don't even come near God. We've come to Mount Zion where the blood of Jesus speaks better things over us. And we've come to the presence of God, to angels in festive gathering, to the spirits of the saints made righteous. Oh, it talks about this wonderful celebration that we're in right now. I want to ask you a question. Because it seems like a big contrast. The presence of God being something that, that, that if somebody came too close, they'd die. And in Mount Zion, the presence of God being something we run towards, we look for, we, we rejoice in. So what's different? Has God changed or have we changed? The truth is God can never change, nor would we want him to be. Why would you change perfect? God hasn't become any less holy. His presence has not become any less powerful. His glory doesn't have any less weight to it. What's changed is the blood of Jesus has changed when we walk in. It covers us. It cleanses us. It makes us righteous. And the Bible says it is able to make you stand in his presence blameless with great joy. See, you couldn't stand in his presence with great joy unless you knew you were blameless. That's what the blood of Jesus did for us. So I want you to revel in that. I want you to, as, as the Bible says over and over, therefore, let us draw near. Come closer, come closer, come closer. But we've got to realize that when we come into the presence of God through the blood of Jesus, by his living way that he inaugurated, we're coming into the presence of God. It's not any less glorious than it was. It's not any less heavy than it was. It's not any less holy than it was. And so we shouldn't treat God any lighter than we would have back then. He is deserving of the utmost reverence. Now the Bible says in his presence there's fullness of joy. You can have joy and reverence at the same time. Some people think reverence just means you're serious all the time. No, no, no. Reverence means that you understand the weight of what this is. And many of you are learning for the first time what it's like to stand in the presence of God. And to be honest, sometimes we don't know how to act. Sometimes we don't know what to do. Sometimes the Bible talks about times where all they could do was fall down on their faces. They knew nothing else. But the, God looks for these places that he is honored, that he is valued, that he is reverenced. I want to read again what we read in Malachi with that caveat that with the understanding that the curse is not yours anymore, but the command of the Lord remains the same, that he deserves to be treated with honor. Here's what he says, and we read this last week, we'll read it again. He says in verse 6, Malachi 1, he says, a son honors his father and a servant his master. I hear some flipping. I'll let you flip. I'll let you get there. I realize that Malachi is probably not the most worn-in book in your Bible. You may not have a bookmark there. We know very little of Malachi. He's, he's almost nameless. But God brought a powerful message through him to his people. It's the words that echo out in the centuries between the last prophets and, and the coming of Jesus himself. He says, a son honors his father, a servant his master. If, then if I'm a father, where's my honor? So he says, you guys honor your earthly fathers. That's not weird for you to do. So if I'm a father, where's my honor? He says, if I'm a master, where's my respect? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name. Uh-oh, it's really the priests that are getting in trouble here. It's the leaders. It starts there. They were treating God lightly. That despise means to take lightly. Instead of reverencing and, 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 and respecting the name of the Lord, they took it lightly. You see, we don't, just because, thank God, just because his mercy is so overwhelming and his grace is so big and it, as much as our sin abounds, his grace much more abounds. Thank God. That doesn't make us any less respectful of the, of the holy God that we stand in his presence. He says here, he says, if I'm a master, where's my respect? O priests 
who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? He says, you're presenting defiled food upon my altar. But you say, well, how? How are we doing this? How have we defiled you? In that you say, the table of the Lord is to be despised or taken lightly. You say, the things we bring to God are no big deal. He says, but when you present the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? When you present the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Why not offer it to your governor? Would he be pleased with you? Or would he receive you kindly? Says the Lord of hosts. Do you realize every time he says, says the Lord of hosts, you know what he's saying? We don't use the word host like they did back then. The word hosts means armies. You see, he's, he's reminding them what a great king he is. He said, every time, I mean, <laughs> can you imagine? He's, he's the one giving the message through a man named Malachi. But Malachi is just the mouthpiece for God here. And so every time, I think the message words it this way, the God of angel armies. So every time he's saying, he's reminding them, you forget who I am. You know, just because I am so full of mercy that I don't wipe you out, doesn't mean you should forget who I am. You see, the mercy of God should cause us to have even more reverence. The grace of God should cause us to run into his presence and fall at his feet. That's what it causes us to do when you really understand it. It doesn't cause you to take him lightly. So he says, he says, you present the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? When you present the lame and sick, is it not evil? What he's talking about, and we talked about this last week, was they were giving the worst of their flock, the cheapest that they had. Because God said, I want your first fruits. And first fruits meant two things. It meant the first of your harvest, but it also meant your best, the best of your flock. Which if you've ever bred any animals, you know that that's a bad idea. You don't eat your best. You breed your best. Because if, if you want the best to come out of that, you breed the best with the best and you get better, right? If you keep breeding your animals with the losers, you're going to get a herd of losers, Let's just face it, I know this may not seem politically correct, but we're not talking about people, we're talking about animals. And some animals, from the moment they're born, you look at them and you say, you're going to be a hamburger, and that's about all you're good for. <laughs> Had a few of those, Leah? Yeah. You're, you're, you, you might make a tasty hamburger, thank God. Because your cross-eyed bucktooth, you will not make a good show cow. <laughs> we're not breeding you with anything. So here's what they were doing. They were saying, well, and here's what people still say. What's good enough for God? I mean, we're talking about missionaries that used to go over. I mean, this was not long ago, just a few decades ago. It might still happen. You'd have missionaries give their life and go across the world to preach the gospel. And people from Canada would support them. But some people would send them their used tea bags. Isn't that crazy? Send them used tea bags because you, 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 I mean, that's, oh, they're okay. It's good enough for them. That, that's been the attitude of some people is that it's good enough. Here's what the Israelites were saying. It doesn't matter. It, it, it doesn't matter. I mean, they're just going to kill the animal right away anyways. What do they care if it's lame? Doesn't need to walk. Just needs to go on the altar. Probably better if it's lame. Probably better if it's blind. Doesn't see what's coming. Right? We're doing everybody, everybody a favor here. But you see, what God's saying is it shows me how much you value me. That you don't give me your best. You give me your worst. You see, the issue was not that God needed meat. God does not need meat. He's fine. He doesn't even need your money. God doesn't need your cash. Do you realize the reason we give is more for us than for him? See, he could, he, could, he could cause, he could, I mean, he could cause his will to be done without us, but he chooses to use us, and it opens up our heart. So he says, will you bring the lame, he says, the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? When you present the lame and sick, is it not evil? So giving God our second and our third and our worst, he says, it's evil. Why not offer it? And here's the question, why not offer it to your governor? Would he be pleased with you? Or would he receive you kindly, says the Lord of hosts. And here's what we're getting out today, because today we're going to talk about the difference between the fear of the Lord and the fear of man. 
And I want you to be set free from the fear of people. Because when you're set free from the fear of people, you really can serve God with all your heart. When you're set free from the fear of people, it's like chains have fallen off, shackles have fallen off. It's like a huge backpack full of weights has been taken off your back. And I believe the only way to be free of the fear of man is to really understand the fear of God. When When the Bible says in Psalms, it says when you fear God, the man who fears the Lord, he says he's blessed, he's happy, his heart is steadfast, and he will not fear anything else. The person that fears the Lord doesn't, is not afraid of anything else, not afraid of people. Because you matter, but he matters the most. So here's the question. Why not offer it to your governor? Just try that out. Well, of course, the people would never do that. They, it terrified them to even think of it. And that's the point, isn't it? It was easier for them to rip God off than to rip a person off. It was easier for them to take God lightly than to take their governor lightly. He says in verse 9, But now you will entreat God's favor, that he might be gracious to us. With such an offering on your part, will he receive any of you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were one among you who would just shut the gates, that you might not uselessly kindle fire on my altar. I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord of hosts. Nor will I accept an offering from you. For from the rising of the sun even to the setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense is going to be offered to my name and a grain offering that is pure from my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies. But you are profaning it in that you say the table of the Lord is defiled and it's, as for its fruit, its food is to be despised. You also say, my, how tiresome it is. And you disdainfully sniff at it. This one hits close to home for me, guys. This my, how tiresome it is, that's a nice fancy English. But you know what they're saying? This is the grumbling. When you, when you, you, you don't grumble going to the baseball game. You don't, you don't grumble even going to work most of the time because you know you're getting a paycheck. But the grumbling about doing things for the Lord or, or, or gathering with his people, oh, how tiresome it is. He says, that's how you, I, I'm, getting your, I'm getting your leftovers. I'm getting the crumbs. He says, you bring what was taken by robbery and what is lame or sick so that you bring the offering. Should I receive that from your hand, says the Lord? But cursed be the swindler who has a male in his flock and vows it but sacrifices a blemish animal to the Lord. For I am a great king says the Lord of hosts, and my name is feared among the nations. He's reminding them of who he is. He says, I am a great king. Now, he is a merciful king. He is a loving king. He's a king that laughs. He's a king that rejoices. He's a king that dances. But he is a great king. And he says, you know, you realize the nations, they fear me. In fact, your neighbors fear me more than you fear me. And he says, that's not a good thing. It's not something to be proud of. Now, I hear this. I thank God. I thank God that I'm redeemed. I thank God that I'm redeemed from the curse. And yet I see this, and it pricks my heart. And I say, Lord, when have I given you part of myself, or I've, 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 I've given you my energy or my time as an afterthought, or I would rather please people than please you? As we read in 1 Samuel last week, he says, those that honor me, I will honor. And guys, you want the only honor that counts, Jesus said, the only glory that counts, the only honor that counts is the honor from the Father. Jesus says, if you give me honor, if I honor myself, it counts for nothing. The only glory that counts is if I get it from the Father. The only thing that's going to matter at the end of the day is whether or not you receive the honor from God. He says, those that honor me, I'll honor But those that despise me, those that treat me lightly, I will esteem them lightly. I don't want to be esteemed lightly. See, would you rather be great in the minds of your friends? Would you rather be great in the minds of the people of Lloydminster? Would you rather be great in the halls of heaven? Whose applause are we looking for? Because, you know, here's the thing. The applause of the people right here 
I can hear it right away. It affects me more a lot of times because you hear it so clearly. But as we step into a world where, the, where we value what's unseen more than what's seen, where we walk by faith and not by sight, we understand that the applause of heaven is far greater than the applause of earth. And Jesus says, if you seek the applause of people, you have your reward. Is that the reward you want? That's that's not, not even scratching the surface of the reward that's available to those that seek his applause. See, the question is not whether or not you'll receive applause. The question is, who are you looking to receive it from? Short term, it's a lot more fun to get applause from people. But that doesn't count for anything. It's the applause of heaven. It's the applause of the Father. It's the reward that he offers that's worth something. He says, those that honor me, I'll honor. Those that treat me lightly, I'll esteem them lightly. There's another place where he says, don't ever call what I've made holy. Don't ever call it common again. He says that to Peter. If I've made something holy, don't call it common and don't treat it like it's common. Don't treat it like everything else for the holy things. And this is, people, this is what we've got to understand. We've got to understand that we have been called to be like our Father. And as He is holy, so are we. And we should value that. And the things that He's called holy should be treated like they're holy. You know, see, if God were literally here, we talked about this last week, if God were, if Jesus were physically standing here, if Jesus were physically here right now, right behind this pulpit, and I don't know what your image of Jesus looks like. I don't know if he looks like, you know, it, it kind of depends on the first movie you saw with Jesus or whether you had the picture Bible or whatever. But if Jesus himself were standing here in all of his glory, I wonder, do you think anybody would be texting? No. Now, I didn't see anybody texting today, so don't think, like, if you've been texting today, I didn't notice you, so don't think I'm calling you out. And I realize some people take notes on their phones, so okay. But we wouldn't, would we? Would we be chatting amongst ourselves? No. He would have everything, all of our attention. In fact, there'd probably be people come right here and just worship at his feet. Now, we walk by faith and not by sight. And we understand he is here. He's here right now. It would be weird for us to ignore him. But act like he's not here. So when we honor the king, where the king is honored, that's where he takes his place. Where the king is honored, that's where he moves in power. Where the king is honored, that's where his blessing dwells. And I want to be in the room where the king is honored. I want to be in the family that the king is honored. I want my heart to be a heart where the king is honored. Where we say it's holy. And this, even this ground that we're walking on is holy. It's not holy because this is a church building. It's holy because the king is here. And everywhere he is, it is holy. Right? Whether that's your living room. Whether that's the church. Whether that's in the middle of nowhere. Wherever he is, that's holy. Now you say, am I supposed to walk around the grocery store falling on my face every five steps, taking my shoes off, saying it's holy? No. Do you understand that in the presence of Jesus, there's a certain way we act? And sometimes it's appropriate to fall down and worship. And other times he says, let's consider, since we serve such an awesome God, let's consider how should we live our lives? How should we walk in the presence of such a God? So you do your grocery shopping. You don't crawl around going, oh, I'm not worthy. No, you go get your groceries. But you understand as you walk, he's with you. So when that person cuts you off with their cart, you remember I'm in the presence of the Holy King. What am I going to say right now? You know, as a teenager, you know what helped me more than anything? When it, when it came time, because we always were arguing about the lines. Where's the line? What kind of TV do you watch? What kind of movies do we watch? Do we watch them at all? And everybody had a different standard. And there was a lot of gray areas. And somebody said something to me that just helped me as a teenager. They said, here's your rule. Here's what you do. 
if you're okay, if you'd be okay with Jesus sitting down next to you on the couch and watching with you, well, that just eliminated a ton of stuff right there. Do you know the Holy Spirit's in the room? He doesn't leave the room. Sometimes you wish he would. Holy Spirit just come back at 15. We got to have a conversation. Can you just leave? The Holy Spirit goes with you. Where are you taking the Holy Spirit? How are you treating the Holy Spirit? And so this is reverence for God. This is the fear of the Lord. But now the Bible says fear of man is a snare. It's a snare, which means it's a trap. The, the biggest trap, in, one of the biggest traps in your life is not necessarily obvious persecution. The biggest trap in your life is often people and wanting to please them and wanting them to be happy with you. You know why it's so much easier to please people than please God sometimes? Because I see the reaction on your face. I see, you're looking at me. I know when you're angry with me and I don't like it. I know when you're happy with me and it makes me feel good. See, because we're still walking by our sight. And so, so often it's easier for us to displease God and please a person because God is merciful and he'll forgive us. But that person, they'll hold a grudge. Don't treat God's mercy so lightly. What does the Bible say? It says, where sin abounds, grace much more abounded. Then he goes on and he says, so should we sin that grace would increase? May it never be. You don't, you don't spit on the grace of God. You, you thank him for the grace of God and you walk in the grace of God. Thank God for the righteousness of God. Thank God for the blood of Jesus. Thank God I've been set free from the fear of death. Thank God I've been set free from the slavery of sin. Thank God I stand justified in the presence of the living God. But I'm not going to treat it like it's a get out of jail free card and just a free pass to do whatever. So here's what we do. I want us to be more, as we said last week, I want us to be more and more aware of Jesus. Because the more aware we are of that holy God, of the Holy Spirit, of the presence of Jesus, the presence of the God, Father God, the more we are aware of God's presence, the more we are aware of him dwelling with us, the more we'll want to please God and not please people. I will tell you right now, it is very easy, I've said this, I'll say it again, it is very easy for me to be dissuaded in a conversation. You ever been in a conversation and going into the conversation, you know what you're going to say and you've been praying and you just, you're so sure. And then you start talking to somebody and their face starts going like this. And they, they, you know, they give you that look or they give you like, what are you talking about? Or they get angry and you start backpedaling and you, you, you try to change it or whatever. And we would, rather, we would rather go against him than go against them. Because if I go against him, I can't really see his expression right now. <laughs> and you know what? He's so forgiving. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about it later. He'll be over it. Let me ask you a question. Just do this test real quick. Just don't have to raise your hand. But have you, just think about the times in your life that you've said something that offended somebody. Or you insulted somebody. Maybe you didn't mean to insult them. Or maybe you just spoke out of turn and you said something harsh. Or you said something stupid and you realized, oh, that hit close to home and I should never have said that to them. What do you feel when you think about it? Oh, you grimace, you cringe, right? There's times I've laid awake at night thinking, oh, why did I say that? Why did I say that? And you just can't wait till morning comes so you can call them and make it up, right? And call them and say, I'm sorry. When's the last time you felt that way about God? Now, I'm not telling you to feel guilty. Because you know what? He takes no pleasure in you just feeling condemned for the rest of your life. There's no con condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus, right? But the Bible also says that there is a godly sorrow that leads to repentance. The repent repentance leads to salvation, to deliverance without regret. So once I've repented, I shouldn't, I shouldn't live in regret. I, I go on. I thank God I'm free. But there is that feeling. When's the last time you said, ooh, you were more concerned in a conversation, you were more concerned that you had insulted God that, than, than you were concerned that you insulted a person? We're moved by people because they're so real to us. They're right here. I can touch them. I can feel them. They talk back to me, and I hear them with these ears. 
But God is more real than they are. And it is our desire to please our God. Now, thank God he is so merciful. Thank God he's loving. But if the fear of man is a snare, and the Bible says those that, the fear of man is a snare, but those that seek the Lord, those that honor him, he will exalt. Then I want to be free from that trap in my life. I want to be free from it. Remember what happened to Saul. We talked about this last week. Saul was told not to take anything back. When he conquered the enemy that God sent him against, God said, just destroy the stuff. Don't take anything back for yourself. But the Bible tells us that he ended up taking the best animals. He took the stuff. And you know why? The Bible says he destroyed the worthless stuff. But he kept the good stuff. And do you know how he justified it? He built an altar and said, well, we'll sacrifice good stuff to God. Samuel comes up. You don't want to get on this guy's bad side, right? The old prophet comes up and he says, and Saul, you know how your kids, when I remember when I was a kid, you know how when you did something wrong and it's like you knew you did something wrong and your parents come home, you run out to meet them. And you really want to just like get their attention right away. Like, you know what happened? Mom, um, I'm so glad you're home. And um, you know what else uh, we did? And, and you're just like, you, you know, anxious to say something. And you're anxious to distract them from the vase you broke. But uh, and you know what? Um, and and uh, we were, um, I, I, I drew you a picture. And look at this. And, and you know, you're just trying to show them, distract them from this. And if they ever find out, maybe I've overwhelmed them with all the good things I did. Saul comes out to meet Samuel and says, oh, 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 I offered a sacrifice to the Lord. Isn't that great? I did what the Lord said. He said, the Lord, I, I went on his mission and I did what he told me. And Samuel says, well, then what is this bleeding of sheep I hear in my ears? <laughs> See, it's hard to hide the bleeding of sheep, isn't it? Your kid brings home a sheep. You can only hide that for, at best, uh, half an hour. I don't know. One time we were, my father was speaking at a, a Bible camp, a family camp. We went and they gave us kids sparklers on the way home. Good idea. So it was a windy day and I tried to light my sparkler. It was too windy. I couldn't light it. So I went in the van and I lit it. It was one of those old minivans. Cigarette hole, it looked like a cigarette hole. It wasn't a cigarette, it was my sparkler. Big hole burned in the seat. Well, I thought, I can fix this. <laughs> the van, it was, an, it was a fabric that was like, a, it was an intricate plaid pattern. And I thought, I've got all those colors. So I went and I got crayons. And I started, because the foam underneath was exposed. I said, if I colored the foam... I'll get away with this. I got scissors. I cut the frayed edges. It was the worst cover-up job you ever saw. But I genuinely thought I'd get away with this. Took them like two minutes getting in the van. What is this? What is what? So I had to fess up. And for a while after that, Dad would come into my room and say, here's your allowance. Here's what you owe. For the van. (laughs) I went a long time without seeing any of that allowance. Well, that's the same thing here. What is this bleeding of sheep I hear in my ears? Oh, that. Well, that we offered some to the Lord. And Samuel says, don't you think that God values obedience more than sacrifice? What do you think he's looking for? And eventually he rails into Saul and he says, Saul, you've rejected God so many times that God has rejected you as king. Doesn't say that God rejected him as a person. But he's rejected you as king. You gave up your position. You gave up your right to lead. I'll find another one. So Saul says, he says, I know I I sinned. He says, I know. And here's here's his excuse. He said, I feared the people. I feared the people, so I disobeyed God. Well, how many times have, have we let that happen? I feared the people, so I disobeyed God. Why? Because the people are loud and they're in my face. God, he's up there. I mean, you know, I, I know God most real when you show up, old man Samuel. 
So what happens? Well, he loses his job. Samuel goes and says, uh, God, we're going to find, God says, I've picked out a man, a young man, but he's a man after my own heart. And when Samuel kind of balks at the kind of guy that God's looking for, God says, man looks at the outward appearance, but I'm looking at the heart. That's what God is looking at. So here we see that it's so easy. The reason we're not honoring God often is because we're more afraid of people. We're afraid of what they'll say. We're afraid of what they'll do. But guys, you don't have to be afraid of that. I love in Isaiah 51 when he, he comes out and he says, you know, in fact, let me read it to you. Isaiah 51. He says in verse 7, Listen to me, you, know, you who know righteousness, a people in whose heart is my law. Do not fear the reproach of man. Don't fear when people don't like you. Don't fear when people think you're doing the wrong thing. Don't fear them, nor be dismayed at their revilings. Boy, revilings doesn't sound nice. Don't be dismayed. Don't lose hope when they revile you. For the moth will eat them like a garment, and the grub will eat them like wool. Well, that's fun. But my righteousness will be forever, and my salvation to all generations. Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as in the days of old, the generations of long ago. Was it not you who cut Rahab in pieces, who pierced the dragon? Was it not you who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, who made the depths of the sea a pathway for the redeemed to cross over? So the ransom of the Lord will return, and they will come with joyful shouting to Zion, and everlasting joy will be on their heads. Thank God. They will obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. I, even I, am he who comforts you. Who are you that you are afraid of a man who dies, and of the son of man who is made like grass, that you've forgotten the Lord your maker who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth, that you fear continually all day long because of the furor of the oppressor as he makes ready to destroy. But where is the fury of the oppressor? You see what he's saying? You are obsessed with what people are gonna do to you. You're obsessed with what they think of you. He says, who are you to be afraid of those people? They'll go away in a minute. But I, I've been here since the beginning. It's I that redeems you. It's I that sets you free. See, most of the time, God is just looking for your attention. Now, ask yourself this again. This is, another, this is just another good test. So many things could be solved if we realized Jesus was in the room. So many things we do differently. Now, imagine him in every conversation you have. He's standing right there. Who would you rather ignore? Who would you rather please? Well, if he were physically there, obviously Jesus. You see, the disciples, they always wanted Jesus on their side whenever they had an argument. They always wanted him to approve of them. But he was right there. It was easy. But when he went away and he gave them his spirit, they said this. They were dragged in front of all the people and they were beaten in public. And I said, don't you dare preach in that name again. And Peter says, whether it's right for us to listen to you or to listen to God, you be the judge. But we can't help but speak of what we've seen and heard. You see what he says? See, they've gotten to the point where they realize, I would much rather obey God than you. You can beat me. You can say you don't like me. But I, I'd, I'd much rather face him at the end of the day and say I did what you told me to do than face you at the end of the day. He says, the people here have made them forget the Lord. You know, it's, it's interesting in Jeremiah 1, the Lord calls Jeremiah and he tells him, hey, just say what I tell you to say. He says, don't be afraid of them. But in the literal Hebrew, it says, don't be afraid of their faces. Don't be afraid of their faces. New American Standard just says, don't be afraid of them. Literally, it says, don't be afraid of their faces. Well, I mean, you might say, well, what's their face going to ever do to me? We're more influenced by people's faces than we are like a club in their hand. People's faces influence us all the time, doesn't it? Do you know why Jeremiah couldn't be afraid of their faces? It wasn't because 
it wasn't because they were motioning with their faces and they're saying, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> no, you know what happens? He prophesies, and if he looks at their faces while he's prophesying and they're displeased, do you know what the temptation is? Change what I'm saying. Soften what I'm saying. Make it fit for them. Rather than saying what the Lord Almighty told me to say, I'm going to say what you'll accept. Maybe I'll say a little bit of it, but I'll mix it in. I'll I'll, I'll try to kind of backstep a bit so that you'll receive it. God says to him, don't be afraid of their faces. That's easy to say right now, but can you imagine that young man, Jeremiah, who thought he was too young to be a prophet, standing in front of all these people, in front of kings, in front of other prophets that had fallen away from God, standing in front of them and saying things that they hated, and just saying, God, you told me to say this. Well, there was a period of time where he didn't want to do that anymore. Jeremiah says, I'm through with it. They don't listen. They, they do things to me. They throw me in pits. I'm not talking to them anymore. I'm not saying, well, you, you find another guy. And he says, so he tries to hold it in. And he says, it starts to burn. He says, it's like fire. Shut up in my bones. You see, those of you who come out of old school Pentecostal roots, we, we used to always think that fire shut up in my bones is like a good thing. It's like fire shut up in my bones. You know, we, we thought that that's such a, a wonderful thing. No, it wasn't to Jeremiah. It burns like fire. I have to say it. He tried to hold it in. You ever tried to do that? Ever been in a grocery store and the Lord tells you to go over to somebody and you try to hold it in? Ugh. Or ever, ever have, you know, just something God's told you to do and you will find excuse after excuse not to do it because you know it, it, it won't, your family won't like it or your coworkers will think you're weird. But we get to that point where we say, I'd much rather please you. That's the fear of the Lord. See, the fear of the Lord versus the fear of man. How do you know you fear the Lord rather than fearing people? The answer is, who do you defer to? Whose opinion matters more to you? That's how you know who you fear. Whose opinion matters more? Who would you rather insult? Now, I'm not saying you should go around insulting people. But who would you rather be pleased with you? The Apostle Paul said in Galatians, if we were trying to please people... We couldn't be bondservants of Christ. Let's just make this up right now. You're going to have to choose right now whether or not you want to be one of God's ministers, whether you want to be one of the people he uses. And in order to be a bondservant of Jesus Christ, you have to make up your mind, I'm not going to always please people. Now, I've seen people use this as an excuse to just say, no, I'm not helping you. I'm not doing this. I'm not, you know, and, and treat it as an excuse to just ignore other people. Say, well, it's just me and Jesus. Not any of you people in Lloydminster. It's, they live other places. They live far away. But there's that, you know, me and Jesus. And, you know, if you disagree with me, you disagree with Jesus. But, you know, it's interesting that the Bible says, submit to one another in the fear of Christ. That really the fear of the Lord will cause me to submit to you. So if you see somebody using this as an excuse to say, yeah, you know, I don't, I don't ha- need to have anything to do with you, well, they're, they're abusing it. In one place, the Apostle Paul says, because I'm a slave to Christ, I've made myself a slave to you on his behalf. So really, it calls you to serve one another in the fear of Christ and in honoring him. There's another place in 2 Corinthians where he says, knowing then the fear of the Lord, knowing the terror of the Lord, it says, we persuade men. The fear of the Lord has caused me to be a soul winner. The fear of the Lord will cause you to spread the gospel because you say, I want him to be pleased. And I want at the end of the day for him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Now I know that there are a lot of different reactions to what we hear when we talk about this. And you could walk out of here feeling guilty for the rest of your life, but that would do any, nobody any good. What you need to do with this is we need to be conscious, cautious every day of the presence of our Savior, of the presence of our King. And I want you to remember what he says. Am I not a great king? How we treat God, here's what he says. Try that. Just go ahead and try that. Um, can you imagine yourself treating your prime minister that way? Can you imagine yourself treating the queen that way? Can you imagine yourself treating even your boss that way? No, I couldn't. Well, then stop treating me that way. 
how we behave in the presence of God demonstrates the value we place on Him. Where He's valued, that's where He sets up His tent. Where He's valued, that's where His presence is most strongly known. But our awareness of Him has got to increase so much so that His face is the one that affects us more than their face. I'm more affected by his face than I am by your face. Now, I've been blessed. I've been able to stand in front of a group of people that want to be here. You know, I've got friends who pastor in churches where people show up because it's Sunday, and that's the only reason they show up. They're coming because their grandpa went to church, the parents went to church, we were going to go to church, but they don't really want to be there. I, I talk to them as they stand in front of people who really don't want to hear it, want you to get done because the Pizza Hut buffet is starting and we need to be there on time. And they have to not look at their faces. But I've been blessed. I've been blessed to be in front of a group of people that want the Lord. But you know what, guys? There's going to be other opportunities outside of this where there are faces that are going to get in your face. And people that you want to please. And people that you want to like you. And there's nothing wrong with that. But what we need more than anything is to know His pleasure. Is to know His favor. Is to see His face. And He's looking for those that would seek His face. And that would honor His his wish, His command, His will more than you honor the people around you. I mean, you honor people because you honor God, but he deserves the most honor. And I I hear this over and over again. Am I not a great king? Am I not a great king? How would you behave in the presence of a great king? Am I not a great king? The fear of man has snared us for too long. The fear of man is a snare, but those that honor God, he will exalt. Gosh, we need it. We talked about it last week. How, how would it be if we honored God to the degree that if, if one were even to come into our midst, they'd say, surely God is in this place. What if we honored God to the degree and we cared nothing? You know, see, because the people that fear the Lord, they can't be bribed. They can't be scared off because the only one they care about is Him. See, that's what God's looking for. That's the kind of person I want to be, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. You can't bribe me. You can't scare me. You can't deter me. See, those men of God, men like Abraham and Daniel, were greatly blessed, brought into positions where they stood before kings. And yet, when kings tried to give them money, they turned them down because they knew there were strings attached. Abraham says, I'm not even going to accept a shoelace from you because you're going to say you made me rich and I want everybody to know God made me rich. Daniel is called before the king, that wicked king who's having a booze party with stuff they stole from the temple of the Lord and on the wall, God writes a message, mene, mene, tekele, farsen. And all the wise men of Babylon can't figure it out. So the king's wife says, well, what about this? What about Daniel? I hear he, he knows something, one thing or another. I, he's, he interprets stuff. Bring him. He's a man of God. So the king brings Daniel. He says, I will give you all of this stuff. If you'll just, I'll give you all these riches. I'll give you all these parts of my kingdom if you'll just interpret this. And Daniel says, as for your money, you can find someone else to give that to. I don't serve you. I work for somebody else. But I'm going to tell you what it says. For I don't interpret it, but I know a God who can interpret it. What if you walked in the room like that? I don't work for you. I work for somebody else. When you go to work, you give it your best. You give it, you you work as unto the Lord. You see, that's what the New Testament said. He talked to slaves. God was not in favor of slavery, but he said, when slaves got born again, he says, you go back and you win your masters to Jesus. And here's how you do it. He says, you go in and you don't work for them. He says, you don't work as eye service. You don't work to be seen. You work as unto the Lord. And the Lord will pay your wages. These are slaves that never got wages. He says, God will pay your wages. So instead of working for your master, because when you're a slave working for your master, you just do what needs to be done so you don't get whipped. 
But he says, now I want you to go to work and work for the king. And work is under the Lord. Do everything, everything that you do, do it as under the Lord. That's the fear of God. When everything we do from the smallest detail to the largest detail, when we honor God with everything, those of you in construction, when you're building that house and you have, you know, two dozen instances where you could have taken a shortcut, but you do it right because you're not working for these people, you're working for the king. Those of you that are dealing with in customer service and you're dealing in retail with, with people or, or you're in the service industry where people treat you terribly and you respond to them differently because Jesus is right here. Because I know, guys, I know, I've seen sometimes where even, you know, when, when the pastor shows up, people talk different. And I'm just a guy. Can you imagine, though, Jesus is right here. How do I speak in his presence? How do I love in his presence? How do I react to his presence? And living in reaction to the king is the best way to live. Honor is do his name. Am I not a great king? Don't I deserve honor? Don't I deserve respect, he says? And we say a wholehearted, yes, you do. The fear of the Lord, the Bible says, is the beginning of all wisdom. You want to know something? You want to have something worth speaking about? You want to have something worth sharing? Fear the Lord. Walk justly. Love mercy. Fear the Lord. Amen? That's what he desires of us. Praise God. And the Bible says that, that man that fears the Lord, how blessed he is. He won't fear anything else. His heart will be steadfast in a time of famine, in a time of trouble. He won't fear evil tidings. How blessed is the man who fears the Lord. Praise God, I'm tired of fearing people. I want to start just pleasing God. You with me on that? Stand up today.